Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you today from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus in Edmond, Oklahoma. I'm actually recording this one day in advance because this weekend I'll be going on a backpacking trip. This is an annual tradition around here and one that I don't participate in every year, but of all the years to get away from the madness of society, this would definitely be the best year yet with so many things locked down or seemingly forever altered from their normal state of existence. So we can finally get out in the woods, enjoy the peace, enjoy the scenery, enjoy the the brotherhood and camaraderie, the, the memories made out there. So I'm really looking forward to that. I just needed to make sure I got a program done before we leave tomorrow or today by the time you're hearing this. Have you ever thought about the incredible, inspiring depth of God's love? Probably you have. Um, perhaps you've spent a lot of time thinking about it. But it really is a subject that is so hard to grasp, no matter how long we spend thinking about it. There is a particular book in the Bible that is perhaps God's most passionate, loving message ever. This is a book that most people call the Song of Solomon, but it actually should be called the Song of Songs. This is the greatest love song ever composed, and God did it through King Solomon. Solomon can only receive a small bit of the credit for recording this song, but it is actually God's. We have a booklet to you or available to you for free at thetrumpet.com titled The Song of Songs, God's Greatest Love Song, written by Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Flurry. And the introduction to this booklet is quite unique and fascinating. He writes here, The Song of Songs is probably the sexiest book in the Bible. But it's not about sex. It's also about one of the most beautiful women God has ever created. Yet, it's not about physical beauty. So I would really encourage you to study this booklet. It's only 29 pages long. But also on top of that, go through this book in the Bible, the Song of Songs. It's eight chapters long. It will take you less than 15 minutes to read. And it really is just incredibly romantic, poetic lyrics. It, they really are those, those incredibly romantic lyrics. And it's a book that you have to pay kind of close attention to while reading because there are different characters speaking at different times 
and it's not like the book will tell you, okay, here's another character speaking. So you have to be alert to certain times where the man is speaking and other times where the woman is speaking. There are a lot of parallels in this, of course. Why would a romantic love song be recorded in the Bible if we thousands of years later couldn't learn anything from it? There are so many spiritual parallels for us today that we need to learn about. Solomon was used by God to write this book, and of all people, he would have had the most personal experience with this message. This message is about an unfaithful woman, one who is committing adultery against her husband, and yet her husband is willing to overlook every sin, every betrayal, as long as she will just repent and return to him. Now, it's so incredible to read this because I just couldn't even imagine having this kind of willingness to forgive. This, of course, is talking about God or Jesus Christ. He is typed by the man in the Song of Songs. And then you have the woman who is a type of God's rebellious church, but only the part of God's rebellious church that still is going to repent. There are some who maybe have rebelled against God for decades now, yet God still loves them. He still is trying to woo them right back into his arms. Now, how could, how could we really do this on a physical level? How could you really do this if you had a, a husband or a wife who betrayed you, who left you for, for decades maybe, was committing all kinds of adultery, clearly showed that he or she didn't love you anymore, and yet the whole time you were somehow willing to immediately forget all of that treachery the moment your spouse returned to you and finally showed himself or herself willing to love you again. That is a depth of patience and willingness to forgive and love beyond human capacity. There's no way any of us could actually pull this off, and yet God does. That's why he's writing this love song to what are called in the Bible the Laodiceans, these rebellious people whose love has waxed cold. They don't love God with burning passion anymore like they used to. And some of them never will again. That's another part of this book that is a sobering warning to us. So God is only addressing the ones who have a chance to repent still. Some of these rebels never will repent. And for them, perhaps their opportunity, their window has already closed. God is only addressing the ones he knows will eventually come back to him. Whether that is right now or in the great tribulation, the worst time of suffering we will ever see. Mr. Flurry is writing here about King Solomon. Like I said, 
being the one who would know about this, who would, who would understand this message better than anybody. If any one man who ever lived on earth personifies that problem, it would have to be King Solomon. He had tremendous wealth, and it laid claim to his heart and caused his love for God to wax cold. Solomon and the Laodiceans loved riches and physical things more than they loved God. Now, there's no problem with enjoying physical blessings in moderation with the right mindset. The problem is when we put those things in place of God. That's exactly what the Laodiceans have done. King Solomon was someone who indulged in materialism to the very extreme. You can read more about that too in the book of Ecclesiastes. He built all kinds of buildings and gardens for himself. Any kind of project he could ever imagine, he would pay for it with the taxes of the people, of course. He would raise the taxes of the people if he had to, to get whatever he wanted, anything he could ever think of. Obviously, he had an almost unfathomable, unfathomable number of wives and concubines. So he was really just trying to indulge every physical desire possible for his whole life. And yet, what did he say at the end? What did he write about in the book of Ecclesiastes? He said it was all vanity. He said it was like striving after wind. This type of indulgent lifestyle doesn't amount to anything good. It doesn't bring happiness. It doesn't bring peace of mind. It doesn't bring true comfort. There has to be something more. That's what Solomon realized at the end of his life. And thankfully, he did realize it. After a life of betraying God, he actually repented. That's what the indication is in the Bible. Here, Mr. Flory writes on page two of the Song of Songs booklet, How much do you love God? Could anything turn you away from him? The deeper your love grows and the more a part of you it is, the harder it becomes for Satan to turn you away from God. Matthew 6, verse 33 talks about putting God first and then every physical desire that could ever benefit us or help us build our character, will be added to us. If we just have the right priorities, King Solomon's problem was that he didn't have the right priorities, and so he went way over the top with his pursuit of physical things. Here on page three, Mr. Fleury writes, but God hasn't forgotten those spirit-begotten people. He still loves them in a way that will probably cause you to love God a lot more when you come to understand the message of the Song of Songs and view it in the context of the evil they have committed. That's right. Even if it's outside the marriage relationship, we have a hard time understanding this level of love. Think about the fact that God sees every sin that's committed by every person in the world, every single day. And he's willing to look past all of that. He's willing to look past 
the sins of the murderer, the rapist, the abortionist, the adulterer, the abuser, and see what they can become in the future. He has a plan for all mankind. It's all according to his perfect timing. So really, this Song of Songs message can be expanded to apply to everybody, not just people who have been in God's church and rebelled, but even if you are coming out of the world and you feel ashamed of something you might have done in the past. We all have things we've done that embarrass us now and that we wish we hadn't done. And yet God can remove those sins as far as east is from west. That is his level of love. And that's what we always need to understand. He's always waiting for us. He's always waiting for us to repent and return to him. The Song of Songs shows us that punishment is motivated by the depth of God's love, Mr. Flurry writes. The type of love we just simply cannot understand to the fullest, no matter how long we think about it. We can't relate to it. We can't love on this type of a level. Think of the worst murderer in all of history. Someone like Joseph Stalin or Genghis Khan or Adolf Hitler. And think about loving that person. Isn't that incredible? That God could actually give them a chance if they ever somehow repent in the future of what they've done. God can do the same for people in his church who have betrayed him for decades and lived lawlessly just like the world, even though they know better, even though they have the truth, or at least they had the truth at one time. These are people who were going to get married to Christ in the future, and yet they loved the way of Solomon more, and they left God. Page four says they adore the wealth and the riches of this world, and that turns their heart away from God. Yet God is right there, and he is singing romantically to these rebels within his church. Those who have betrayed him. And he's saying, if you'll just come back, I'll still be here waiting. Song of Songs, chapter 1 and verse 4 says, Draw me, we will run after you, or after God. And then it says, The king has brought me into his chambers. We will be glad and rejoice in you. We will remember your love more than wine. The upright love you, or God. So you have to, again, you have to focus on this, what it's talking about. Mr. Flurry clarifies on page 4, when it's talking about running after you, that's talking about God, but then it's talking about the king. So that's talking about someone else. That's the woman's other lover. So this woman is talking about going into the chambers of the king, but also saying how she wants to run after God. She is confused. She's mixing up love for God with Love for materialism, love for the world. Page four 
Mr. Flurry writes, the king brought her into his chambers and she speaks as if there was nothing she could do about that and that she can continue worshiping God in spite of this grievous sin. She justifies herself and acts as though she has done nothing wrong. But God finds her behavior unlawful and extremely offensive, and he won't tolerate it. You see, this is also a part of God's love. He does expect a certain standard. He doesn't tolerate sin. He won't dwell anywhere near it. And as long as we are sinful, he won't be anywhere near us, at least in terms of geographical location. He won't come down with New Jerusalem to dwell among us until we're all spirit beings. He just cannot tolerate sin at all. But his love is reserved for those who he knows one day could possibly repent. No matter how bad we have behaved in this life, if we ever one day just repent, his love will flow all over us and in us. And that is just an incredible blessing. But again, it does require certain conditions. God is not going to keep on loving a rebellious church that never will change. Again, that's the warning. That's, that's the reason why God is only addressing the group of Laodiceans called the Jacobite Laodiceans who will repent in the Great Tribulation. He doesn't talk to the Edomite Laodiceans at all in the Song of Songs because they will never change. They have set themselves to rebel forever. So God doesn't love them. He loves the ones who have repented now or who will repent at any point in the future. And that's the point Mr. Flory is making here on page five, how this woman in the Song of Songs never actually names God. So she might say, I love you, I run after you, but she never names God. And that could be a warning about how she has no future with God unless she deeply repents. God's love is there, but repentance is absolutely required at some point from everybody. God is pleading with this woman to come out of Babylon. These are people, again, who should know better. People who have been in God's church, who know God's truth, and yet are rebelling anyway. Song of Songs chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. You can see here he's describing the beauty of, of his way of life, as Mr. Fleury is pointing out on page 7. He says, but words are not producing results. He is singing this love song, yet they're still not listening. Mr. Fleury continues, we can see why God must plunge the latest scenes into the Great Tribulation. There is a lot of suffering coming, and a lot of it is just because People are ignoring God. Even people who know better are ignoring God's loving warning, his love song. Plenty of nations in this world today, descendants of ancient Israel, 
also have a history with God, and God is upset with them too. This whole world has rebelled against God from the beginning. God is upset, but he's also loving, and he's ready for them to repent. That's what the Song of Songs shows. God in this book, the Song of Songs, often calls his rebellious church his dove. And that's because the dove is the premier lovebird in all of nature. The Anchor Bible talks about how the doves sit and stare at each other. They coo and coo to each other with a soft murmuring sound. It states, the gentleness and amativeness, or amorous and disposed to love, of the dove make it a fitting universal symbol of love and peace. Mr. Flurry writes here on page nine, God uses this unique bird to illustrate the depth of his love. God's love for us is beyond anything we can imagine without his Holy Spirit. That is just such a blessing to have access to that love. And that really should comfort us when we think about all the things we have done wrong and maybe we feel ashamed to even talk to God. Maybe we have made progress in a certain area and then just totally collapsed and let down and don't even want to come before God in prayer because we think it would just be too embarrassing and he'd be too angry with us to listen. But he's showing us here, no matter what you've done in the past, even if you've had God's truth for years and threw it all away, you can still return. There's still a little bit of time left to return. And even during the period of punishment that's coming, there will be a chance to return. I always think about this verse, Matthew 23, verse 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets and stone them which are sent unto you, how often would I have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, and you would not. You see, God's love is there, but our love is what always fails. If anyone's love is failing, it's our fault. He wants to gather us. He wants to protect us. You think about Jerusalem, that really is the place where so many of God's men died. Christ himself was crucified on the outskirts of Jerusalem. God's own son, his own eternal companion, they murdered him. And yet he is talking to them and saying, look, I am waiting to gather you together and love you as my own children. That is the kind of love we're talking about, where even God can love the ones who physically rammed a spear into Christ's side. And all the rest of us are responsible for that too with our sins. We murdered his own son by our sins, and yet his love is still there. Think about someone like King Solomon, like we've already mentioned, but also his father, King David. David committed adultery, got that woman pregnant, 
and then made sure that woman's husband died on the front lines of battle. And for nine months, David didn't talk to God. He kept this sin a secret, he thought. He thought he'd gotten away with it, and then God exposed it in front of the entire nation. See, there was a punishment for the sin. In fact, the child David conceived ended up dying too. There was war throughout his household for a very long time. All curses for what David did wrong. Yet how does the Bible describe David? The Bible calls David God's friend because David knew how to repent. David was the master of repentance. We have another book available to you for free at thetrumpet.com. Repentance toward God. And that shows you just the depth of repentance that David went to. And God will still love someone who did the heinous acts that David did. So how can he not love you and me? That's really what the Song of Songs is showing us. God's love, but also the standard he expects He does expect repentance, and then he will always listen to us. He will help us through any of our problems. He will love us forever. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.